about a week ago, my daughter, Ember, uh, called down to us from her room. Mommy, I have to tell you something. And like all six-year-olds, she has kind of the go-to ways she tries to stay up late. You know, I have to go potty. I'm thirsty. Saw a pterodactyl out my window, the usual. So Rob yells up, Ember, you can tell us from there. And ordinarily some kind of funny uh, back and forth will ensue because she realizes once she has our attention and permission, oh, I don't actually have anything to tell them. And so, you know, she'll just come up with something off the top of her head and it's hilarious. But this time she immediately yells back, I'm too embarrassed to say it. And I can hear in her voice, she is crying or near crying. So then of course, you know, we, we bring her down right away and we sit her on the couch and we're like, what's, what's the matter? And I see her little lips start to quiver. And then she just bursts into tears and repeats, I'm too embarrassed to say it. And so Rob's like, okay, well, you know, do you, do you, want, do you just want to whisper it to mommy? And she says, yeah. So she leans close into my ear and, and, and she says, well, you know the, the book about crayons from Creative World that I read? I said, yeah. And, and she goes, well, I wrote my name in it so that I could take it home and then just burst into tears again. Apparently, I guess, you know, she, she read a book she liked at her daycare last year, so she wrote her name in it so the teacher would think it was hers so she could bring it home, and it's been in her room ever since just eating away at her tiny little conscience. So, you know, she, she's crying, and, 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 and now Rob and I have to figure out, like, how, how do we parent this? So our, you know, I mean, our, our strategy has always been we separate the, the behavior from the identity. So we don't say you're a bad girl, you know, we say, well, that was a bad choice. Um, and so we talk about how that was a bad choice, but, but we always, you know, kind of follow that up with, but you know, you know that mommy and daddy love you no matter what, right? We, we love you no matter what, even when you make bad choices. And she's like, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we hug her and we tell her, you know, the, this, we're so glad you told us the truth. It's better that you came clean on your own. We didn't even have to find out. Um, you, you chose this by yourself and that's a really good thing. Now, under normal circumstances, we would also have her like take the book back uh, to Creative World, but there's a pandemic and no one at Creative World wants the beat up old crayon book that's now basting in my daughter's snot. So we just had her, uh, she, she donated some of the money in her piggy bank to buy books for the preschool. And that was that. And I can see her kind of physically relax as she realizes, oh, oh, they're not angry with me. This, this has actually built trust between us. So this morning we're talking about confession. Today is Regroup Sunday. If you're not familiar with that, it is the one Sunday each year when we force you to listen to a Regroup style teaching and then we invite you all to join us uh, for the Regroup ministry on Monday nights. Last Sunday, we wrapped up our series on the Psalms. Zach preached on Psalm 51, and our text this morning is, is Psalm 32, which is actually kind of a, a natural continuation of Psalm 51. So this is kind of a bonus week of the Psalm series. We're basically picking up where Zach left us last week with, with David's Psalm of Repentance. So let's pray together, and then we're going to look at Psalm 32. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for connecting us in your word, even across great distances. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters who are most affected right now. We pray um, for, for the sick and the infirm. Lord, we pray for people who are fearful of getting sick. Lord, we pray for our friends who, who don't have the luxury of staying at home or working from home. Um, our doctors, our nurses, um, all our frontline folks, Lord, uh, and, and those with jobs that just aren't flexible. Lord, we just pray your protection over them. We pray that you would keep them safe. Lord, there are so many things that we have to worry about right now. 
And so we pray that over this next half hour that you would just allow us to lay them at your feet so that we can better hear what you want to say to us so our judgment isn't so clouded by our worries. And Lord, we confess to you that 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 we've we've fallen short of the mark. We've not done a good job um, of, of using this time, whatever this time looks like for each of us. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would allow us to, to search our hearts for those nooks and crannies where unconfessed sin is still living, Lord. Give us the, the strength and the courage to bring it into the light because you are good, because you are merciful, because you love us no matter what. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we put our hope. Amen. This is Psalm 32, a psalm of David, beginning in verse 1. We're just going to look at the first seven verses. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through all my groaning all day long, For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. This is God's word. Last week, Zach talked about repentance, that complete turning away from sin and choosing another direction. And that's actually the pathway by which God does a new work in our hearts. But what does repentance look like? I mean, what does it practically look like? What are the steps? My friend Michael is preaching a brilliant sermon next week on peacemaking, and one of his main points is that we, as Christians, we've got to be willing to admit when we've done something wrong. So repentance, first and foremost, the first step is, is, and this might sound obvious, but we have to admit that we've actually sinned. If you're a 12-stepper, I mean, this is step one, right? We admitted that we were powerless and that our lives had become unmanageable. And, and, and now that's not the only step, right? Anyone who's been through recovery will tell you that admitting you have a problem doesn't fix the problem, but it is the first step because we can't fix what we won't see. So we're talking about confession, which, by the way, is a spiritual discipline. In the same way that prayer or fasting are disciplines, these don't make you a Christian, but your relationship with God will feel a little bit sickly without them. You'll remember from last week, Psalm 51, David has committed adultery with Bathsheba and, sh- and he murders her husband. And Nathan the prophet calls him out on it and then he repents. He, he, he pens that beautiful psalm of repentance, Psalm 51, where at the end he promises to teach transgressors your ways, O Lord. So scholars believe that Psalm 32 is actually kind of the fulfillment of David's promise to teach transgressors the ways of God because he's repented, he has been forgiven both adultery and murder, and he knows, he knows that he is not deserving of that grace. He knows that he could be condemned to death under the law. He knows he doesn't deserve mercy. You know, he, he got his friend's wife pregnant. We don't even know if it was consensual. And then he sends her husband to the front lines to get murdered uh, in a war and so he can marry her and cover it up. So David knows he he doesn't deserve mercy, but God forgives him anyway. And so now he can't help but sing 
about the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. He can't help but teach transgressors like himself the ways of God. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, he writes in Psalm 32, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. David knows the blessedness of being undeservedly forgiven. And so his poem sings both of the blessedness of that forgiveness, but also of the agony of unconfessed sin. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Now, you'll notice he doesn't say, blessed is the one who never transgressed. David has been humbled by his sin being publicly exposed. Even though he's the only person in the Bible called a man after God's own heart, he knows he still messes up. And so he recognizes that even even the best of us are, at best, still sinners. Do you know that you're a sinner? I I want you to really think about that, not just like intellectual ascent. Yes, of course, we know we're all sinners. I I want you to think about what's the last sin that you committed? I'll give you a minute. Was it today? Was it five minutes ago? Was it Monday when your kid started distance learning and you accidentally taught him some four-letter sight words? I mean, what, what was the last sin that you committed? Think of it in your head. And now consider this, that that sin, whatever it is, whether it was a really big sin or a teeny tiny baby aspirin size sin, that sin was still enough sin to keep you out of heaven. Now, you know, adultery and murder, we kind of go, yeah, of course that is, but, but, but even my daughter's writing her name into a book that wasn't hers, even that is enough sin to keep her out of heaven. We are all equally sinners. And I don't want to lose you at the beginning of my Regroup Sunday Sermon on Confession because you don't feel like you have anything con- to confess. We are all equally sinners. And now someone who lives a very moral life, you know, they might chafe at that statement. Well, yeah, but, but I'm less sinful than most people, right? But guys, theologically, it doesn't matter. God does not grade sin on a curve. It's like pregnancy, you know, you either are or you aren't. You would never look at a positive pregnancy test and say, well, sure, but I'm less pregnant than most people, right? I mean, it's, 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 you can't be a little bit sinful, you either are or you aren't. Like you can't be a little bit pregnant or a little bit alive or a little bit of an Animal Crossing fan. You just are or you aren't. It's, it's, it's pass-fail. It's perfect-imperfect. There isn't a little bit of sin and a lot of sin. There is simply sin or the complete and total absence thereof. Now this isn't going to be a scary hellfire sermon, so what am I getting at? My point is that, my point is that we all have something to confess. And because confession is a discipline like prayer, we don't have to feel a certain way before we do it. You you don't have to feel prayerful in order to pray. You don't have to feel guilty in order to confess. In fact, I, I find that when I practice the discipline of confession, when I come toward God so that my sin can be revealed and I can tell him about it, the feelings will often follow the discipline, not vice versa. Because the the closer I get to God, the more his light reveals my darkness, the more I see about myself, and then, of course, the more I feel the desire to confess. So it's a discipline that we should practice daily, like prayer. Even, Even when we don't feel particularly guilty, right feelings will often follow right action. We all have something to confess. But then, of course, that leads us to the more pressing question, why on earth 
should I care about this right now? I mean, I got a lot of other things going on the radar right now. I'd be happy to think about this in 2021. You know, I've, I've made it this far without the discipline of fasting and I'm still a Christian. So why, why should I care about this now? Well, beyond the spiritual benefits of confession, which are myriad, there's, there's actually some really practical ones for right now, even physical ones. There was a study that came out of uh, Berkeley and Harvard in 2015 that tracked the response of the human body to dishonesty, to lying. Lying actually has a physiological effect on the body, and so the, the, the study documented some of those effects. They found that when you tell a lie, now this is if you're like a normal person, this isn't, you know, if you're, if you're a sociopath with no empathy, it's different, but, but if you're a normal person and you tell a lie, a few things happen. It recruits the executive functions of your brain, which means your brain is working harder to lie and to remember the lies than it is to tell the truth. So it fatigues your brain in the same way that, uh, you know, taking an exam fatigues your brain and it leaves you less energy to, to think about work or to think creatively. Lying also activates your limbic system, the, the fear center of your brain that regulates fight or flight. So, so if, you, uh, if you tell a lie, then your heart rate spikes and your blood pressure spikes and you start to get maybe a little shaky. I mean, this is how a polygraph works. If, if, you, uh, if you answer and suddenly your heart rate goes way up, it's more likely that you're lying. Then lying also causes your cortisol to spike, which, which leaves your body in a prolonged state of stress. Now, th those, those effects are lessened uh, if, if the lie isn't self-serving or malicious. For example, if I say, you totally can't tell it's a toupee, or this meatloaf is delicious. I mean, that doesn't have the same effect on your body. It doesn't cause the stress response because you're not being devious or malicious or self-serving. But, but if we are devious, if every day we, we engage in some dishonest behavior, if, if we tell our lies, then it spikes our cortisol and it leaves our bodies in this prolonged state of stress. And we have already seen what chronic stress does to the human body. I mean, heart issues, gut issues, immunological issues, anxiety issues, these can all be triggered by chronic stress. Our body keeps a, a physical score of the stress that we endure. And so when David writes, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, I don't think he's being hyperbolic. I think he's being quite literal. When he kept his sin a secret, it caused his body to suffer. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. For night and day, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sat, sapped as in the heat of summer. Secrets and lies are, are quite literally killing us. It's killing us. It, it, and certainly the big secrets and lies are, but even the little ones. Like one time I, I, I canceled a dinner date with a, with a friend of mine because I'd had an awful week, but I didn't really want to talk about it. So I just said, oh, my daughter's not feeling well. But then, oh my goodness, for like two weeks after that, Every time I talk to that friend, I'm, I'm like panicking in my head thinking, okay, what if she asks about Ember? Do, do I lie again? Do, don't offer too many details. Don't give too much information. I mean, I was far more exhausted by that than I had been when I canceled the date. I mean, it's just not worth it. Who can live at that speed? Always having to think that hard about what you said before in order to say something new, it's exhausting. I mean, do this with me. Think in your head of the year that you graduated high school. Comes to you very quickly, right? Now I want you to think of the years of the American Civil War. Now that's arguably a bigger deal than your diploma from Blackhawk High School, Go Cougars, but, but it's easy to remember one and hard to remember the other because one's memory, but the other's just information. 
information like in a textbook that you're trying to memorize that slips away into the ether, which means the more that we lie, the harder it is for us to connect in relationships because we always have to review all of the information before we can say anything new. It's exhausting. It's no way to live. Secrets and lies sap our strength as in the heat of summer. It's exhausting. Regroup is a community of healing and recovery, and and maybe you don't have a big ticket item that is a traditional recovery thing like drinking or drugs or pornography, and so, so maybe you don't feel like you have anything to confess, but guys, we all have something. And maybe your secrets and lies seem too small to actually you know, matter, using your kid to cancel a dinner date. Listen, full disclosure, I don't actually think that if you uh, start practicing the discipline of confession, I don't actually think that you're gonna discover how, how awful and deeply damaging it is to, to cancel a dinner date. I don't think that's gonna happen. I, rather, I think that when we practice the, the discipline of confession, when we draw near to God for the purpose of him revealing our sin, then what we find is that we often have more than just the dinner date cancellation to confess. I don't care about the dinner date. I care about the small manipulations and the half-truths and the untruths and the selective truths that we have told so many, many times that we don't even know that we're lying anymore. Here's the scary thing about that study out of Berkeley. The, The more that people lied, the less their body responded to it. So if they only just occasionally lied, then you know it, it lit up their brain every time. But if they made a habit of it, then they became gradually desensitized. Their bodies no longer knew that they were lying, which begs the question, did their hearts also forget? I remember the, the chronic stress of secret keeping. When I first came here to Summit, when I stepped foot into Regroup, I was an absolute mess. You know, I had just been making a a string of of bad decisions uh, in relationships with men. I was living a lie to the church community around me. And I was terrified to tell people the truth because I knew, I knew if they knew that they could never accept me. So I kept my secrets close and it was killing me. But I have to tell you, as I reflect on that season of my life, really my worst years and my worst decisions, I find that I am so grateful that God allowed me to feel the pain. I'm grateful that God's hand was heavy on me because the Lord disciplines those he loves as sons. I'm grateful that he let me feel it because the only thing that I think that could be worse than the chronic stress of secrets and lies is when that stress disappears altogether, when we lie so much that our body doesn't even know anymore, when we're so far from God that his light no longer illuminates our sin to make it visible. Being numb is not the same thing as being innocent. So, so for a Christian, you know, guilt, it's not a bad thing. It's, a, it's an indicator light on a dashboard telling us that something needs attention telling me that something's wrong and I need to confess. So so don't numb it away. Don't let the enemy anesthetize you from the guilt that could actually lead to your salvation. I know this doesn't feel like a high priority right now. I have a friend, uh, she's a teacher, and she, she texted me this on Monday. 
Well, it only took four hours for us to get all the students online and paying attention, but then my three-year-old walked into the Zoom shot naked and I lost them all again and now my family will become a viral TikTok. And she followed that up with some, uh, you know, some emojis of wine bottles, which of course I interpreted as her desire to receive Holy Communion as soon as possible. I mean, guys, 2020, there's a pandemic, there's, there's protests and racial injustice, there's hurricanes to prep for, there are murder hornets. I just read last week that there was an outbreak of the bubonic plague in Mongolia, just like a little bit of the Black Death. I mean, there's probably some millionaire industrialist somewhere right now extracting DNA from a mosquito that he found preserved in amber. This year, gosh, just feels about a million days long. So I have this image of my friend and her newborn watching this sermon, you know, probably not till Tuesday while she's feeding the baby and her kid is in the background smearing peanut butter on his brother and her oldest is in a Zoom class with no pants on. And I, and I can just picture her like listening to this and saying, okay, Kaylee, but just what do you want from me? I can't do anything. I can't be anything more than what I am right now. I am just surviving I have too much going on to, to start trying to practice new spiritual disciplines. Listen, I, I don't want to add another task to your to-do list. Now, do I think that confession will enrich your relationship with Jesus? Yes. Do I think that it will make you happier with yourself? Yes. Do I think that it will uh, deepen your relationships? Yes. Do I think it's a theological necessity in order to be forgiven? Yes. Yes, I do. But right now, that's not what I want you to focus on because all that feels like work and I'm not trying to give you more work. What, what I want you to do right now, very simply, is to unburden yourself. I want you to unburden yourself and secrets and lies are some of the heaviest burdens that we will ever carry. Don't carry them alone. I mean, has your nightly quarantini habit gotten out of control? Don't carry that burden alone. Has being uh, alone with your computer all day been a stumbling block for you? Don't carry that burden alone. Are, are you eating garbage because it feels like this is the only pleasure that I have control over? Don't carry that burden alone. Are, are you just lonely? And so you're numbing out the pain with a constant stream of entertainment. Don't carry that burden alone. Take it from someone who started their life of crime in grade school. I mean, people will still accept you. Good people will still accept you when they know the truth. Don't you want to know what that feels like? And maybe you've already come clean with God. That's great. You know, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're in, you know, you believe in Jesus, you've repented, you've confessed, you're in. But then James also tells us, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The healing comes from the confession to one another. And, and this healing is certainly spiritual, but I think, I think it's not only spiritual, I think it's much more than that. The unburdening of our hearts from the fear and secrecy and stress that can literally make us sick. So don't rob yourself of healing by limiting your confessions to God alone. Confess to one another too, and, and you will feel the unburdening of your heart. Funny thing happened with my daughter after the big Crayola book confession. Now, this week, she has started confessing things just 
for seemingly no reason just all the time. You know, we're getting into the car to go to the park. Mommy, yeah, baby. Do you remember when I said Nicholas threw blocks at me? Sure. Well, he didn't throw the blocks. Okay, babe. You know, she's in, she's in the bathtub playing with floaty toys. Mommy, yeah, baby. Remember when I said I didn't know how the water got on your bed? Yes. Well, it was because I brushed my teeth in your bed. Okay, baby. I mean, it's like once she realized that coming clean didn't make us angry at her, that it, that it actually built more trust into our relationship, she, she started confessing everything. I mean, just everything. Because, because what happened when she confessed? She was unburdened. She no longer had to worry if we would still love her when the secret came out. God knows that we have enough to worry about right now. So unburden yourself. Because here's the reality, guys. The secret's already out. God already knows. He already knows what you did. He knew what you were going to do before you were ever made. In fact, God knew God knew that he would have to die for you before he ever made you, and yet he made you still. That is how much God loves you. He loves you no matter what. We all have something to confess. And, 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 and of course, the closer we get to Jesus, the more of it we see. But we don't have to be afraid to see it. Because he loves us no matter what. So unburden yourself. If you've never practiced the discipline of confession with others before, it just so happens that we have the perfect place for you to begin. <laughs>